Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest will be Joey Dwyer. We will talk Vanderbilt basketball. But before we do, an apology on my behalf. I have uploaded I don't know how many versions of this podcast. I have I had all kinds of technical difficulties that I can't understand. That's not usually the case here. But if you downloaded a previous version and got the wrong episode or a blank episode or any number of ways this thing went up, I owe you an apology. I don't know what happened. I just know I worked hard to fix it, and hopefully here it is. Anyway, Joey appears on our guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items. That includes a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call. That number is 615-830-9458. Now on to our interview with Joey Dwyer. Joey Dwyer joins us today. It's Friday afternoon. Goodness, we are, what, nine, ten days out from the start of college basketball season. I know Joey is very excited to cover Vanderbilt Hoops this year. I'm excited to have him. I'm excited about this podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, for sure. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, I'm <laughs> heavily debating paying 10 bucks tonight to watch Gonzaga, Tennessee. So just shows you how desperate I am for uh, college hoops. So anytime I can talk about Vandy hoops, uh, I'm up for it. So thanks for having me on again. Now I'm going to push back on that a little bit. The most wonderful time of the year is, is March because that's when they're settling all this. That's when baseball is about to get started. It has on the college thing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that a bit, but you know it is a good time at least, right? Yeah, as long as you're not sleeping till May, uh, we can agree. <laughs> well, there's gonna be a lot to cover. Uh, should be an interesting year for Vanderbilt, starting with the tip off against Memphis on November the seventh. And to get you guys prepared for the season, we have decided to just hit some generic topics uh, that Joey has come up with, and then we'll take some questions out of the mailbag, too, as they apply. Uh, these were Joey's ideas for topics, so I'm, I'm just going to throw them right back at him. Um, three big questions about Vanderbilt basketball. Give me number one, Joey. My number one question, really since I've started diving into this team, is just how do they generate offense? Last year with Scottie Pippen, who really orchestrated the whole thing. It's one of the best scorers in the SEC. Everything really flowed through him. Do they have enough offensively to compete in the league now? I'm not 100% sure about that. They're going to be real set reliant, and they're going to be real three-point reliant. So Ezra Manjohn's obviously going to be a big part of that. Can Jordan Wright maybe create a little bit? Um, I think Vanderbilt has a ton of questions offensively, and Jerry Stackhouse seems to view it as a strength. He talked a lot about uh, how the offense is flowing really well at the moment and how it's flowed better at this time this year than it has at this time in past years. But uh, there's only so much that uh, you can see in terms of uh, practice against yourself. I think Vanderbilt is really going to be challenged offensively to keep up with teams like Arkansas, Alabama, uh, Kentucky, teams like that who 
have much more high-powered offenses on paper, at least, uh, than Vanderbilt has. And Ezra Manjohn and Jordan Wright are going to have to take huge roles in this offense and really orchestrate the whole thing. So I think Vanderbilt's biggest question is just their offense. Do they have enough to compete with some of the high-powered offenses in the league? And obviously they're not going to hang their hat on offense. It's a defensive team first, but you got to score to win basketball games in the SEC. Yeah, I think that's my biggest question, too. I might subphrase it as, if that's even a, a, a thing, <laughs> is what does the loss of Scottie Pippen Jr. do to the offense? I know that he likes Ezra Manjohn for different reasons. He's talked about how fast he is, all those things. That's all great until you lose a guy who can get you 35 in a given night, You know, go 18 of 18 from the line, whatever, just to track the defense and just be a, a nuisance with the ball in your hand basically every time down the floor. I, I think that is you, – you hit on the key question. I would, I would say within that, that's the driver is how much are some of these guys able to do, for example, Jordan Wright. Uh, and I know Jordan had a couple of good games towards the end of the season, uh, one or two when Pippen was off, but it's different when teams are game planning for Scottie Pippen Jr., uh, it's a little bit easier to score when you ever when you are everybody else, and whether they can do the same with Ezra Manjohn to me is a huge question. Yeah, it's always a big thing when you lose a twenty point per game score in a power conference. There's not many guys who can do that, and not many who did. Uh, Scottie Pippen is one of those, and one of the most valuable car- guards in college basketball last year in a national landscape that didn't have many awesome guards. Scottie Pippen Jr. was one of them, and Vanderbilt is going to really uh have to fill a hole there as a man john like we've talked about jerry stackhouse likes him for different reasons than why he liked pippen so maybe that's a bit of a encouraging sign there that their offense is going to look a little bit different and maybe it could thrive that way but you look at the last season there were some times where they couldn't compete with um teams offensively with scotty pippen on the floor there was games i think vcu they scored 37 points and uh I believe Pippen was on the floor for most of that game. So it's going to be tough uh, just to compete when you're so three-point reliant. And uh, I think that's my biggest question. It's going to be a question all year. Even if Vanderbilt seems like they have it figured out, they're going to have to create looks in ways that other teams won't have to create looks. And uh, that's really scary to me for uh, a team in the SEC. Okay, what's your second question? My second question is a little more open-ended it's kind of who steps up as the guy and I kind of want to take it in a few different directions it's like who's an alpha on the floor essentially is Jordan Wright stepping into a role as a legitimate go get me a bucket guy is it Ezra becoming one of the better playmakers in the league is it Liam Robbins being their anchor defensively and being the offensive contributor he was at Minnesota or Drake maybe Colin Smith becomes a high percentage shooter and a nice defensive piece or Tyron Lawrence becoming a higher usage guy who steps up into a bigger role than they've had to have in the past with Scottie Pippen on the team. And I guess it kind of goes along with what you said. It's just there's so many holes to fill when you lose a guy like that. And uh, somebody's going to have to step up. Probably two or three of those guys are going to have to step up in different ways. And uh, I just think it's a big step up for a guy like Jordan Wright, like you said, to go from the guy who it's, wow, this guy's a nice player, to compliment Scottie Pippen. Now he's the guy, and you have to compliment him your best defenders on him essentially every game and uh you're relying on him to go get a bucket Ezra Manjohn is really running the whole offense uh Liam Robbins 
has to come back to his old form. And then you're relying on guys to give you stuff that uh, they haven't given you in the past. So I think it's a little more uh, – it's not as straight up as how do they generate offense, but it's it's interesting to think about how many guys have to step up into bigger roles this year as compared to what they've had to do in past years with Scottie Pippen on the floor. Yeah, that's a really good second question. Mine would be – and I think a lot of the sentiments that you – expressed there were sort of contained in, in the one that I asked. But I think my second one would be how healthy can Liam Robbins be and what is he? My understanding is the other day they had a, I think the first practice after the Georgia Tech scrimmage, Robbins was not starting. Melora Brown was starting. I don't know if that is Stackhouse just likes Melora Brown better or if that's – a health issue at this point or what it is but to me there's a big difference in this team like if Liam Robbins can be 13 and 8 a night and you know three blocks a game or whatever something like he was at Minnesota this is a much different team if it's a a a thing where he plays 20 games averages 20 minutes it's a much different team under that scenario than it is in the first yeah absolutely I think uh I think it's more so that uh, Stackhouse kind of likes his older group defensively right now with Melora Brown a little bit better. That's kind of what it seemed like in the presser. Robin spoke to the media also and said that he's been completely healthy. Essentially the whole offseason hasn't missed a single practice or workout. Says he's back to full health. So take that for what you will. I do think that Robbins was a little behind the curve in the overseas tour, so I'm not 100% sure that that health we can completely rule out health, but uh, obviously you're right. The ceiling is much higher with Liam Robbins, and if they can get Minnesota or Drake, Liam Robbins, completely different team on the floor for Vanderbilt this year. And uh, if he's your second or third option offensively, I think that's a huge plus compared to if he's maybe your fourth or fifth option. Okay, your next question would be? I had a hard time making a third one because there's a few things that I'd kind of like to see, but I settled on uh, can they get anything from their freshmen. I think the ceiling for them is much higher if you have guys like Noah Shelby, Colin Smith, maybe even a guy like Malik Dia who has a super high ceiling in the lineup. If those guys can play themselves into minutes, Stack uh, a few days ago said he's going to go with his vets to start, uh, but he's open to giving freshman minutes down the line. I think those guys are much more talented than some of Vanderbilt's veterans. Uh, particularly Shelby and Smith. But uh, if they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, I think a lot of those contributions are going to have to come from that freshman class uh, and those guys stepping into big roles eventually that they may not have at the moment. Yeah, that's my third question. I can't say it any better than you did, so I won't. (laughs) Okay, uh, the next topic was breakout player candidates. Since that's your question, I'll let you define how you want that to look and, and then start giving me your your answer or answers, and then I'll give you mine. Uh, so I just kind of want to look at some breakout candidates for Vanderbilt and um, kind of just discuss some of their profiles and whether we think it's realistic that they could have the breakout that people are expecting. Obviously, the big one is Tyron Lawrence. So if you want to give some thoughts on him to start, uh, we can – Start with him and then go to uh, some of Vanderbilt's returners from there. Well, I I think that's a good one. I mean, frankly, this is a tough one. I I think you could make a case for, 
I don't know, seven or eight people on the roster. I mean, I, I don't know. It means they all break out. I, I mean, they won't. But mm-hmm. Lawrence is a good one. I would I'm trying to think of how to word this. Lawrence is one of the bigger X factors on the team. And an X factor, by my definition, is either you don't know the range of performance or it's it's really the extremes between the bottom and the top are big. Um, I, I guess that's the way I'd put it with Lawrence because I'm still not quite sure what he is. Uh, we haven't mm-hmm. seen him healthy for a long stretch. I'm not convinced he is a 10, 12 point a game, you know, top three or four player on the team. Like mm-hmm. it seems to get implied. I mean, maybe he is. I just haven't it, really it just seen happened. it with my own eyes. Yeah, he's the guy I had the most on, and I think we're going to talk about for the longest. You look at last year, had 3.8 points per game, uh, less than assists per game, negative assist-to-turnover ratio, and the efficiency wasn't really good either. 41% from the field, 20% from three, and an offense where he's going to have to shoot a lot of threes if he wants to get uh, sets drawn up for him. 68% from the line, which doesn't really imply that the three-point shot can come around. Obviously had a good offseason based on what Stack is saying. Stack really likes what he's seen, and Lawrence can uh, fit well what they're doing defensively. But like you said, I just don't know if he's a 10-point-per-game guy this year. I think naturally, just because of opportunity, he's going to be a 6-, 7-8-point-per-game guy. I think that breakout maybe comes more defensively. Last year he was kind of a league-average defender. Uh, I think the length and athleticism he has and putting on some muscle and gaining more of an understanding of what they want to do helps him to become a better defender. But I just don't, I don't know if he's kind of your natural breakout guy. Obviously the ceiling is unbelievably high because the athleticism has a little bit of floor game, has some quickness top 200 guy out of high school has, is their best athlete on the team. Really? Um, I just think people assume he's going to be a breakout guy just because of the athleticism and his profile, at least on paper, doesn't really, imply that normally a breakout guy in college basketball is a guy uh, even if he doesn't have a ton of upside or floor game it's a guy who was efficient in a smaller role and Lawrence played 15 minutes a game last year and averaged three points per game on not great efficiency and turned it over a lot so I think there's a lot to be seen there and uh, I don't think I would bet on him being a double-digit scorer but defensively I do think he could be a guy who makes a leap and I think he'll have to be more of a focal point in the offense if Noah Shelby isn't ready to go right away. We're going to see a lot of Tyron Lawrence, and uh, I think we're going to see pretty quickly if he's capable of making a leap like that. Yeah, percentages for him last year, 41% from the field, 20% from three, 69% from the line, 0.7 assist to turnover ratio. So more turnovers than assists there. Um, next on your list would be who? It really drops off from there in terms of the upside that you have. I think Miles Studi is a guy who could maybe jump into being a double-digit per-game guy just with a bigger role. Obviously, had a pretty sizable role last year, but without a Scottie Pippen Jr. type taking a lot of shots, uh, I think Studi's efficiency was uh, pretty solid and is a guy who could make a little bit of a scoring leap, uh, could certainly improve defensively a little bit, and uh, has some... uh, upside on that end but I don't think the ceiling is as high as Tyron Lawrence and uh but he is a guy who can make a little bit of a leap in my mind the others I'm not super confident uh could make a leap 
I guess if a freshman is allowed to be a breakout player, I'm very interested to see what Colin Smith is. Like I said, the mm-hmm. the 10 minutes we got to see them, he was handling the ball. I think he was a guy that got a lot of minutes overseas. He seems like he's kind of versatile. That That's probably my pick. I, I think there's just the rest of the roster. I mean, we, we kind of know what Manjon is. I think we mm-hmm. pretty well know what Jordan Wright is. I mean, maybe he's got a little level above him. And Song average eleven and five. He's going to be a very undersized uh, three, four, whatever they've got him at in this league. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Malor Brown, I feel like we know what he is. Yeah. Studi, I feel like we kind of know what he is. Robbins, we we know what he is. We just don't know if he is healthy or not. Um, and I then just, you know um, Trey it, Thomas, it, it, know what he is. Yeah. And, and then Lawrence. I mean, and, and then other than that, it's it's freshmen. So. Yeah, Colin Smith is obviously the big intriguing guy there. The guy with yeah. the highest ceiling probably of that freshman group, and we haven't really seen him play in a primary role at AZ Compass. There was other guys there. I think Kylan Boswell kind of ran the show there. Uh, Colin Smith wasn't really the guy, but now steps into a team where they're in desperate need of scoring when the set breaks down, and Colin Smith, I think, maybe could give you a little bit of that, but at least you know you have a guy who's probably going to shoot it pretty well from the outside, has a ton of length, is athletic, uh, can play that role well. Can he do more of that and kind of break out from what his role was in high school, uh, which was a high-level role on a high-level team, by the way. But it doesn't overly excite you if he's a 3 and D guy, although he would play that role well. Yeah, they, they've got to get more from him than that. I think – most important player was the next thing you had on your list. That, to me, is an easy answer, but I want to hear yours first. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. I think I said it in the article that I put out this week, my first article on the site. Uh, more coming, by the way. Quick, quick plug. but uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, Ezra Manjohn is my answer, and uh, I'm hoping that yours is the same, but uh, it'll be a nice debate if not. I think the whole offense runs through Ezra Manjohn. He's kind of their tone setter defensively. And uh, if Ezra Manjohn can't get downhill and create, or he can't score for himself, I don't really know what Vanderbilt does offensively. And uh, they're lost without Ezra Manjohn offensively, I believe. And uh, defensively, he's going to make a huge impact as well. Well, mine is different. I'm presuming Manjohn's going to be at least serviceable. I don't think he's going to be Pippen. Um, I don't think he's going to be Trey Thomas either. I think, to me, it's Robbins because – if they're going to have any hope of even getting to the NIT, 
Robbins is going to have to give them, I don't know, 12 and 8 and, and 3 blocks a night, something along those lines. I know they like Quentin Malore Brown. Quentin Malore Brown is a 5 you start. If you've got really solid answers at your other four starting positions and you don't have a clearly better alternative in the post, that's not the situation there. I think you and I both agree on where the offense is going to come from. Whether they like it or not, Liam Robbins is going to have to be healthy and he's going to have to be the guy. And if he's not, I just don't see them having a very good season. And I think it's – I don't see much of a path beyond that. I could be wrong, but I think Liam Robbins has got to be a huge part of their identity and he's got to be healthy if they're going to get to postseason – and I think the most realistic would be the NIT. For sure. Quinn Malore Brown is a really nice player. I think Notre Dame probably wins another game or two if you put him on Notre Dame last year in the NCAA tournament. They probably go to the second weekend if they have a guy like Quinn Malore Brown off the bench. But I don't think it's a guy that is going to take your team to the next level like Liam Robbins has the potential to do. That's a guy that can step out and shoot it. It's a guy who you can be intentional about getting post touches to and one-on-one. Um, a guy who can shot block, be the anchor of your defense, and just really fill a few needs that you don't have. Quinn Malore Brown is going to play a nice role off the bench, um, ideally, but that can't be the guy you're relying on to take you to the next level, at least offensively. And I think Robbins has a little bit of a higher ceiling defensively as well, just because of the ability to block shots that he has. I think those guys, those two, those two guys are really going to have to contribute on the glass as well, which I was debating on putting as my third question. I don't know uh, how their numbers were defensively last year uh, on the glass, but just looking at the roster and uh, kind of the guys they're going to have to face, I'm a little concerned about the glass as well. So, Yeah, I look at this. Uh, I'm looking at Robbins' stat line for last year. And, and now th- this breaks down because Liam Robbins is not going to play, what, 37 minutes a game. But if you doubled if you doubled his minutes to where it was eighteen point four a year ago, and you double everything across the board, he's scoring thirteen and a half and bringing in eight boards a game. They actually need more scoring production when he's on the floor than that, and I think they'll probably I, I get it this year because Pippen's not part of the team, uh, and he averaged two blocks a game. You double that, that gets to four. Again, the, the truth is probably somewhere in between. Uh, like mm-hmm. I said, it, it probably settles in it. It's twelve, eight, and three. But if you want to know what he's done in the past, there it is. At least at Vanderbilt, he did more at Minnesota, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his Drake numbers are pretty similar to what the multiplied minutes would, or what the multiplied things would be. So I wouldn't generally expect that much. But like you said, I think it's kind of in the middle, just because Robbins was kind of a freak of nature in that league, and uh, now is kind of seeing his caliber of athlete more at Vanderbilt and uh, has other good players around him. But obviously, they need Liam Robbins badly in a few areas, shot blocking. They need him to stretch the floor. They need him to be the answer in the post and uh, need him to be a scoring option, at least as a second or third option. Okay, you ready for questions from the people? For sure. All right, our mailbag is presented by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm if you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. This from B3Vandy. 
Jerry has started to stack the house here. He has certainly put together an impressive roster compared to previous years. Vandy's lack of a big man problem in the past has now been addressed by having Robbins, Dort, and Malore Brown all ready to go. With the talented group of guards and forwards already here, Vandy now has a good chance of putting together a solid tournament-bound team, in my opinion. How do you see the talent shaking out and which stars are going to shine the brightest? Who's your top five to seven players Vandy will use the most? Thanks. Okay, we hit on a lot of that. Top five, seven in the rotation. We hit on that last week in the podcast. What do we have? Um, I think we had Manjon and Wright leading the team in minutes. Um, Malora Brown would have been in that top five to seven. Studi would have been in there. Robbins would have been in there. Lawrence would have been in there. And, And what, maybe Colin Smith? Is that how uh, we went with tops or Ansong maybe? Ansong. I have a uh, actually separated into tiers, and I think my top two tiers were the top seven. So let me think. It'd be Manjon Wright, Studi, Robbins, Malora Brown, Ansong Smith. Am I missing anyone? And then kind of Noah Shelby, guys like that on the fringe. Yeah, hard, just hard to say about the freshmen until we see them. So for sure. Uh, let's see this from Woody VU 66. This is year four for stack. If this team, which at the moment looks like it could struggle scoring, doesn't make the NCAA tournament, how much heat is on stack heading into year five with him having just signed his new extension? Um, well, I, I think that the key is in the last part of the question here. I think stack's got five to six more years guaranteed. Uh, no. And I think, I mean, it is, if the school is willing to pull the, trigger on a, a 15 million or 20 million dollar buyout or whatever I, I i guess he could be under some heat but i'm not seeing it yeah i unless things just go completely out the window i don't see a way stack isn't coaching vanderbilt next year it's gonna have to be real bad just because this thing is somewhat trending in the right direction uh this is a big year for him obviously but just kind of the infrastructure of the program seems like it's a lot better than when Stack received the program, and uh, the overall talent level seems a little bit higher, even if Scottie Pippen Jr. isn't here to kind of lead the way for that. Okay, Knoxdoor94 says, what do you think this team's ceiling is, assuming the team has solid health issues, meaning no major injury blows? That's a tough one, because I think this is a team that's going to compete every night just because of their defense. I don't know if it's a team that has the ceiling of a second weekend team. I hesitate to say they can't make it because it's March and anything can happen. There's some teams that I thought would have no chance to make the second weekend that have, but I just think with the limits they have offensively, I think they could certainly be a tournament team if things go right, if Liam Robbins is the guy, if Ezra Manjohn turns into um, a big-time playmaker and a big-time defender, Jordan Wright uh, becomes the guy that you can – rely on to go get you a bucket Uh, a lot of things have to go right including colin smith as well but i think it's a team that can make the tournament second weekend to me is kind of where i think their ceiling ends up maybe i'm not super confident that they can get there with kind of their offensive profile yeah i'm i'm just looking at the league and i've got a sheet in front of me with the stats for every player on every team uh where they played this year and where they played last year the league's brutal this year I think their ceiling is probably 18 and 12, 8 and 10 in the league, and and you sneak into the NCAAs based on 
the strength of that schedule. Um, if and if they did that, it's a phenomenal year in my opinion. Yeah, that's got to come through the non-conference too. It's going to be tough to yeah. get enough wins against those type of teams in the SEC. They're going to have to hit the ground running early. You got to beat teams like St. Mary's, NC State, maybe even Memphis to bolster that resume before. You get an SEC play. You can't dig yourself into a hole going into SEC play. And uh, I'll talk more about that. I think I'm putting an article out this week or next week about kind of how they can build a resume. It's heavily reliant on that non-conference schedule. And to hit their ceiling, it's going to have to come early. Yeah. Okay, Believe 22, Stack has improved every season. He has been here. Can we expect that to continue for this to be his best season record-wise to date? And the percentage likelihood that Vanderbilt makes the dance? I would say that this team probably isn't as talented as next year's team or last year's team. I think they have the potential to maybe fit a little bit better. I would expect that this year's team maybe is a little bit worse than next year's. Uh, or I don't know why I keep saying next year's. Last year's team. Uh, just because Scotty Pippen is such a huge, huge loss. And then I just don't know if they have enough offensive production to be a tournament team. I'd say... I'd probably think it's like 30%. I don't know if you have a little bit higher of a take on that. I don't want to sound like a hater, but uh, that's kind of just the way I see it at the moment. No, I I, I don't think you are. Um, I don't think this will be his best season. I don't think it would be as good as last year. Get, that doesn't mean he doesn't have a chance. I give them about a 15% chance to make the tournament. Um, the computers like them, and I put a lot of stock in that. Uh, Ken Palm and Bart Torvik have got them as an NIT-type team. Uh, but, again, I, I look – and I follow the league closely. Yeah. I mean, they've – let me pull up the schedule here. I mean, they, they've got Tennessee twice. They've got – they have South yeah. Carolina twice, and that's a break um, because I think South Carolina is the worst team in the league. They have uh, and, talent. And even, well, yeah. ish. Um, they, they have almost no experience. They got a transfer from Citadel, had a really good season, and they got Gigi. Um, Gigi oh, grief! I want to call him. Yeah, Gigi Jackson. I want to call him Gigi Smith, but that was a Kentucky player from twenty years ago. Or, or <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. I, I mean, they, they've got Tennessee twice, Kentucky twice, Alabama twice. I could see all those teams is elite eight type teams. Um, They've got Arkansas, but that's here for a change. There's a running joke um, about when's the road trip to Arkansas because it seems like the league sends them to Arkansas every year. That didn't happen this year. Um, they've got Florida twice, I think. Florida's a – I think most people have got Florida in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they've got Auburn. That one's at home. That's a little bit of a break, but Auburn's another team in that top five of the SEC that that's that could play to the second weekend. Um, and, and the thing I've said over and over, the league is good. The league just doesn't have a lot of bad teams. That's not usually the case. So give me wins are hard to come by. I just think that, uh, you know, and you see this in Big 12 sometimes, right? You'll see teams that are like top 50 in Ken Palm that, that go, you know, 14 and 18 and, and five and, you know, whatever in the Big 12 or six and whatever. There just aren't enough wins at the end of the day because of who you got to play week in and week out. And I think that's going to be one of their issues. Kansas State last year had two of the best guards in the Big 12, finished last in the league and almost made the tournament with a yeah. losing record. It just shows you if Vanderbilt even competes at the level that they do, 
it's so hard to make the tournament. And the only reason I put the odds at 30 is just because I think they, they have a chance to maybe not run the table in non-conference, but at least have a solid um, solid stretch there. I think NC State beatable. That's on a neutral slate. That could be a nice resume builder. St. Mary's, VCU could be a nice resume builder. They have a lot of quad one and quad one, two opportunities, even in non-conference play, that I think they have to take advantage of. And the season might be... I might be at closer to 10% in December if uh, they drop a few of those games. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule out of conference. The, the games I'm circling, Memphis here at Temple, mm-hmm. St. Mary's out in Anaheim, VCU in Richmond. Um, those are in NC State in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Those are the biggest ones. I think they have to win at least three of those, if not four. Oh, yeah. Because in the SEC, if you lose types, if you lose a game, say you drop the NC State game, you have to go beat a team like Auburn or like Alabama after that, and that's a tall task. Yeah, best case scenario out of the league, um, they go. What? Let's see how many games have they got? Non-conference. One, two, three, four, five. 11, I, I think best-case scenario, probably 9-2. and two. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and, and then you do that, then you go 8-8 eight and eight, or 8-10. Eight. Eight well, gosh, then you're looking at, at um, what, 17 and, and 12 um, with, the, with the game and the, um, what, well, and you get a game in the SEC tournament. That's what I'm trying to say. So you got a chance for 18 there. So yeah, that's. I mean, to to, to go at what I think is their best case scenario, they they definitely have to go at least three and two in those five games. Yeah, that was a good question. It got me and you, uh, me and you going for a while. Yeah, I like the ones you have to think through out loud as you answer it. That I think that makes for good podcasting. So yep. let's see. What else is in the mailbag? Okay. Some of the things we've already hit. Let's see. Who will lead the team in each of the following? All right, we'll just go one by one. Scoring, your take. I have Jordan Wright. Yeah, that's what I've got, too. Rebounding. Uh, man. Wright led him in rebounding last year. I'm going to guess he does it again. I actually didn't know that. I was gonna yeah, say I, either. I was gonna say Wright, Robbins, or Melora Brown. I think Melora Brown's a better rebounder than Robbins, but Robbins is gonna get more minutes. I'd also probably go Wright. Yeah, and I thought about picking Robbins or, or Melora. But the problem is, I think they're splitting time, and so it's yeah. it, you, and Wright's gonna be on the floor probably thirty plus minutes a night. Um, assists. I think that's got to be Ezra Manjohn, right? Yeah, I think that one's a no-brainer unless Ezra Manjohn gets hurt early. Then it gets a lot more interesting with Paul Lewis and Trey Thomas and all them, but Ezra Manjohn's a no-brainer at the moment. Okay, steals. Um, I think I got my answer there also. Uh, then it's going to be Jordan Wright, who wow. had 1.4. He's their leading returner in that category. They actually have two guys who can – wreak havoc there i was actually thinking about ezra manjohn i think he's a guy who can really get up into opposing point guards and wreak some havoc so yeah. there's three guys in that backcourt who can make plays like that jordan wright i think tyron lawrence also has 
uh, some of that ability because of the length and athleticism. He could wreak some havoc, and obviously Ezra Banjon is going to be on the ball. He talked in the presser about how much he loves playing defense, and um, I think they have a lot of guys in that backcourt who can make plays like that. I think I'm going to go with Ezra, but Jordan Wright is also a real legitimate option just because of how many he had last year and kind of the havoc he wreaked at times. Okay, three-pointers. I presume that's percentage. I mean, Studi, what, led the league at 43 last year? Mm-hmm. I, I would go so, Studi percentage, yeah. Yeah, I mean, based on history. Free throws attempted and made, that's a tough one. Um, I need to pull up the stat sheet from last year. I don't think Manjon is get a get to the, the line like a ton point guard based yeah. on his past, is he? He has the potential to be. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, so. Pippen got to the line a ton in that offense. Yeah, I don't think he's going to do it quite that much. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that necessarily implies the same result. But um, uh, let's see how much he got there. While I'm, while I'm scrambling, tell me what Manjon did a year ago, if you can look that up. Manjon. Uh, yeah, they're they're leading returning guy in free throws made and in percentage. Um, by a long shot is Jordan Wright, who hit 93 and hit 80.2% from the line. Technically, Trey Thomas hit 84%, but Thomas only had 25 attempts. Mm-hmm. Scotty Pippen Jr. attempted 299 foul shots last year. That is- Wright was second on the team at 116. Nobody else was over 88. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Ezra last year shot 58 of 81 at the line, 71.6%. So I think Jordan Wright would be kind of the no-brainer answer there. Wow, that, that that's a little scary because now you've got, what, a, a, a 220 free throw drop-off? Oh, yeah. Uh, but between the point guard you lose and the one that you are bringing in? Uh, no, no, look, maybe maybe in the offense it, it changes and he gets more attempts, but that, that just tells you how good Scottie Pippen Jr. was. Mm-hmm. I almost think Manjon will be a lower usage guy in that aspect at times, too. I don't yeah. know if he's going to get as many shots as he did at UC Davis. Yeah. Okay, JDL Cav, how much do you think the freshman will play? Who will play the most and the least? Where did we settle on that last week? I think we had Colin Smith playing the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe Lewis playing the least? Where did we go with that? I think, well, we definitely had Smith the highest. I think I had Lewis second, actually. I think I okay. was a lot higher on Lewis. Manjon also talked about that in his presser this week, that he thinks Lewis will play big minutes. Take that for what you will, because it wasn't coming from Stack. But I think the lowest I had was Dia, and then close after him was Dort. So mine was Shelby... Lewis or Smith, Lewis, Shelby, Dort, and then Dia. Okay, next question from him. Based on what you've seen, who are the team leader and major motivator? I would say that one thing I look at for leadership is who the coaches put in front of the press. The first two guys they put in front of the media this year were Quentin Malore Brown and Jordan Wright. And you hear them talk about Manjon a lot about as a leader. I, w- I would say that's a good starting point, unless you've got a better idea. No, I, I don't think I've been around the team for long enough to kind of grasp that. But yeah, SEC Media Day was right in Malora Brown. 
and I've also heard Stack talk a lot about Man Johns. So those would be the three, I think. Godor's 94. I think Lawrence will take a big step up this year, maybe play a lot of point. What are expectations for him? That's that's difficult to answer. Yeah, I think the idea of Tyron Lawrence heading into the year is a lot different from kind of what the numbers said last year. I think the ceiling is high there, and you get excited about the idea of what he could bring, kind of guy who could maybe play both guard spots, a ton of athleticism, has some floor game. But like we talked about earlier, the numbers aren't quite the numbers of a guy who is a potential breakout guy generally. So it's hard for me to kind of predict that. If I had to guess, it wouldn't be a huge breakout, but just naturally it would be a guy who got better over the offseason, put on 19 pounds, and just naturally improves just because of the good offseason he had and just getting more reps uh, with Scottie Pippen Jr. not there. I don't know if he's a guy who steps into a role as their second or third option, though. Okay, last one from VA72. Coaching question. I get the impression Stack gives the green light to most of his guys to shoot the three. We blow hot and cold. Wins and losses oftentimes are determined by our accuracy from the floor. In a different era, John Wooden kept stats on how accurate his players were in preseason scrimmages from different distances from the basket. He would then give the green light for shooting only from the distances for where a particular player shot a good percentage. Question, is Stack too laissez-faire and letting the guys throw it up? Should he be more discriminating? If he were, would the team be more consistently able to shoot a good percentage from the field? Okay, that's a great question. It's one that I've never thought of in the way that it was phrased. I'm going to look at the evidence for this. Um, Last year, you had... 14 kids on the team hit a three-pointer. You had only one guy who did not take one. That's Quentin Malore Brown. Let's see. Under 30%. uh, Well, let's see. Over 30% were were Pippen, Wright, Studi, Chapman, Thomas, and Dizoni, surprisingly. Shane Dizoni was 14 to 25 from three last year. I didn't realize that. Drew Weicker, to walk on who's gone, was was 39%. And Graham Carlton, to walk on, hit one of three. So that leaves guys that went under were Robbins, who's allegedly got a decent stroke from long range. Jermaine Mann, uh, who was 2 of 15 and, and shouldn't have been shooting them last year. Mm-hmm. Lawrence, who hit 20% from the floor. Um, you know, again, I, I don't know what they see there from him in practice. And he, health's been an issue, so maybe there's upside there. Everybody else is, is gone, so I don't know if that answers the question, but there's a little bit of data to, to give background to wherever we go with this. Yeah, I think – I almost think it's better that he does give the green light in some scenarios just because they don't have that many guys who can go get their own look. So I think it's going to – just to get good shots – is a win, even if it's not a guy who can knock him down at an incredibly high level. I think Robbins is a little bit of an exception to the 30% rule as well, just because I think it's a little bit more important for him to just be a threat to step out, so I think it's space the floor, than him actually consistently knocking those shots down. Obviously, you'd like him to knock those shots down, but um, it's almost more important that you have driving lanes for guys like Manjon or uh, Lawrence or Wright, 
uh, to me. I think schematically it helps you. Kind of everybody has the green light, but uh, obviously I can see the side where you would not want those guys to have looks. Okay, I'm trying to, to come about an answer to this working backwards. There were, let's see, 358 Division One teams last year. If you go right to the middle of effective field goal percentage, I'm looking at Ken Palm. Uh, so that'd be, what, 159? No, I'm sorry, one um, 179, I guess. Uh, that was 49.9% from the field is an effective field goal percentage. Um, effective field goal percentage is when the, uh, the three counts as an extra make because it's, it's worth a time and a half more than the two. So if average teams are shooting right around 50%, uh, you need to be what, 30, somewhere in the low 30s. 32-33 to come out to that. So, I, I mean, I, I would think that'd be a good benchmark for should you shoot the three or not. Now, look, you can, can nitpick a little bit and say this guy hit 31, um, but, you know, give give him one that rims out, you know, and, and he's right there. I, I, but I think, t- to me, I guess my gut feeling was along the lines of you need to be shooting 30% or higher from three to be able to take those. And and most guys that, that took a lot last year on this team were in that range. Uh, you had a couple that weren't. Taron Frank was one. Jermaine Mann was one. They're no longer on the team. But most of the guys were hitting uh, close to that or above. Yeah, I think you answered it a little better than I could. Way to, way to move on your feet there to get some of that data. Yeah, I try. I try to reverse engineer in my mind that sometimes, and that was. I don't know if it was good podcasting, but that's how I think through it. So, hey, we're so. we're a good tag team on that one. You're the you're the stats guy. I'm the eye test guy. I'm good. I'm good for something. I mean, I should be by now. But in any case, Joey, we've reached the end of the mailbag. Any thoughts or or things we didn't get to today with Vandy hoops that are worth covering before we end the show? I think we're good. Uh, looking forward to the season. I think we've covered about all we can in terms of this team and their offseason. Uh, really looking forward to start talking about some actual basketball games. I'm sure we'll come on a few more times uh, before Memphis, but really looking forward to getting going and uh, maybe previewing Memphis soon uh, and hitting some of those post-game shows and the weekly shows. But by the way, the correct answer to my question is, and I don't know why I didn't think of this, 33.3% is what gets you to an effective 50% field goal mark. So that probably should be about your about your tolerance for that. But again, you know, small sample size, one, one that rims out here and there. You know, if you're shooting at 40% in practice, but it doesn't translate in games, um, you know, there's a little tolerance. But just to circle back to that... Uh, Anyway, for whatever reason, I couldn't get my head out of that question. But anyway, uh, hey, it's time for basketball soon. Mm -hmm. We'll have everybody covered here, and I'm looking forward to doing that, Joey. Yeah, for sure. Can't wait. My first season covering games in person. Really looking forward to it. Indeed. Indeed. It'll be be your first game in Memorial Gym, and and I'll be there with you for the Memphis game on November the 7th. Can't wait to actually go in. I can't – will not lie and say I have not walked around the, the gym a few times, maybe tugging on the doors here or there. <laughs> well, you, you'll get your chance 
uh, it's it's probably unlike anything you've ever seen, and it's a it's a special place when things are going well for them. Absolutely, a little different than uh, Allen Arena here at Lipscomb, where I uh, <laughs> absolutely get in whenever I want. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in McQuitty. That was a different that was a different atmosphere too. So um, that's that's the practice gym now. Look. Oh man, and and now you're making me feel old. So I think we'll just end this thing here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrisleigh70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.